welcome to the Not Old Better Show on KSCW. The show covering all things health, wellness, culture, and more. The show for all of us who aren't old, we're better. Each week we'll interview superstars, experts, and ordinary people doing extraordinary things, all related to this wonderful experience of getting better, not just older. Now, here's your host, the award-winning Paul Vogelzang. The Four Tops, of course, and their hit, It's the Same Old Song. It's a great song, and it is one of my favorites. We're talking about exercise, fitness, cognition, and more today with a real superstar, Dr. Vonda Wright. Often, this subject is just the same old song. In other words, exercise and fitness is good for our aging bodies, blah, 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 same old song. Not the case with our guest today, Dr. Vonda Wright, and we'll get into all of that, but it's so great to be with you following another excellent community chat with Gary Cohen. Hey, good morning, and welcome to the Not Old Better Show on KSCW. I'm Paul Vogelsang, and as part of our Smithsonian Associates Fitness Program, we have an excellent show ourselves and interview today with Dr. Vonda Wright. Dr. Vonda Wright is a double-boarded orthopedic sports surgeon, internationally recognized authority on active aging and mobility. In addition to Dr. Wright's surgical practice, Dr. Wright regularly contributes to national TV shows, including Dr. Oz, The Doctors, and The Today Show. Dr. Wright is frequently quoted in The Wall Street Journal, New York Times, USA Today, and the U.S. News and World Report. And Dr. Wright has written four books herself on topics surrounding active aging, precision, longevity. And for all you golfers out there, Dr. Wright is going to tell us the best swing exercises for senior golfers, simple, easy, and repeatable. Dr. Wright has created the nonprofit Women's Health Conversations, which ignited a national conversation on women's health and performed award-winning research that is reshaping the way we think of aging in this country. Please join me in welcoming to the Not Old Better Show on KSCW, Dr. Vonda Wright. Dr. Vonda Wright, welcome to the program. I am so pleased to be with you, Paul. Thank you. Thank you for joining us. I am Uh, excited to talk to you. Your work is fascinating. We're going to get into that today. But I want to just touch on a subject that I found in my research of you that I I think is an important one to mention right up front. And that is that, and I I do a little bit of work for the NIH. I found in my research of you and of NIH that that, uh, only a small percentage of orthopedic surgeons, of which you are one, are female. And so I wonder, are the doors open to women and orthopedic surgery? What does that mean to some of the female patients out there, of which there are many, I would imagine, just as there are many male patients, but what does that mean to you professionally? Oh, I love that you're leading with this because um, you are right. Women are 51% of our population in this country and around the world. And, and there are many studies that show that women like being taken care of by women. And that is definitely not a slight on my male colleagues. I happen to love my male colleagues and those that have mentored me over the years. But the fact is that any woman in the population looking to tell their story of wanting to get out of pain or optimize their function or just get their life back will have a hard time finding an orthopedic surgeon who is a woman to talk to. Because when I started in orthopedics, I graduated from medical school in 1999 and was fortunate to join the University of Pittsburgh department, which had a leader who was courageous enough to choose the best residents, whether they were men or women. I came into an apart department that actually had 
um, I think there were nine of us across the six years of training. And at that time, that was completely unheard of because when I started, Overall, there were only 3% women of all ortho practicing orthopedic surgeons in the country. When I graduated there, until recently, there were 6%. So we doubled, but we're still not a critical mass. Last year, I think we were looking, the women in orthopedics, you know, little, it's not little, but it's, you know, it's a, it's a more like a social group of us. We're looking and there's about 9%, which is fabulous, right? We've tripled our volume. And still, we're not at a critical mass. And, you know, why does that matter? Well, it, ta- it matters to patients who want to be taken care of by doctors who have common experiences. It matters because, um, frankly, uh, research out of Harvard has shown that female surgeons have better outcomes for a variety of reasons. Um, And it also matters as we train up the next generation of young women, you know, millennial women are not like Gen Xers or not like baby boomers. They are expecting, not hoping like we were to have equal opportunity that they're expecting it. So the way I frame it is, you know, I have two, I have several children and two of them are girls. And when I'm speaking to people, I say, you know, I'm so fortunate. I had very supportive parents. They said, Vonda, you can be anything you want to be. And you know what? They were right. I figured out how to become an orthopedic surgeon with three to 6% of other women. But I then say, but for my own daughters, I am not going to lie to them. I am not only going to say you can be anything you want to be. And the millennial women expect that. But I am going to say, and you can do it equally. So women in my generation, which are, you know, I don't know, the Xers, the the really young boomers, we're working hard to not just let women in, but to create a pipeline. We need to start in high school if we're going to encourage women in a pipeline to become surgeons. We need to be present and lead from the front to um, show young women coming up that you can be everything. You know, Paul, I'm a surgeon. Uh, I was a nurse, so I've had multiple careers. I'm an entrepreneur. I'm a mother. I am the mother of a blended family of six children. I had my only biologic child at 40, and then I raised the children that came into to my life with my husband. And I'm a wife and I'm a daughter in a sandwich in a sandwich situation where my 82-year-old parents live with us. So when I say my goal is now not only to let women following me be anything they want to be, my goal is to show them that it's possible to be everything you want to be and do it equally. And so listen to me on my soapbox. I get on a real rampage about the critical mass that we need to establish so that we can actually stop saying things like female surgeon or, or quantifying with adjectives, you know, and just call me a surgeon and we'll get there, Paul. It's just, you know, it takes a little bit of time to change a paradigm. Well, you're doing so much and, and we appreciate that. Thank you for that, that, uh, that wonderful answer. I I do think that's inspiring and that, that, that is what we want to hear. I think, you know, it's interesting as we're watching the summer Olympic games in our household, I imagine you're, you're probably not, you can't help but pay attention to these games. I think there's just, there's some wonderful things going on, but I couldn't help noticing that in the women's gymnastics, aside from what's going on with Simone Biles, which our heart goes out to Simone Biles and her family through all of this, but, but yet, we're seeing athletes like Oksana Chuso 
Vitina, I think I'm pronouncing that right, from Uzbekistan. Yes, yes, that's right. Is that right? Okay, good. Well, she's, yeah. she, interestingly enough about this athlete, Oksana Chuso-Vitina, she's officially competed in eight Olympic Games. And your work and research, again, you, you are an orthopedic surgeon, you're a mother, an entrepreneur, a wife, a daughter, and an author. You've written about fitness after 40, and I want to talk about that. Mm-hmm. But you focus on this functional musculoskeletal aging uh, element and notion. And so we are all aging differently today. Many of us are functioning for longer periods in our lives. And like Oksana, Chuso Vitina, we're competitive later in life. And so what is your research telling you about our aging bodies and staying active later in life? Well, Paul, I love that you've asked um, this question. It's one of the cores of my entire career to really look at musculoskeletal aging across a lifespan. And when I started doing this, I started in 2006 when I studied 3,000 senior Olympians or participate participants in the National uh, Senior Games, which is a biannual event where people over 50 who have won their state events come together and compete in at what at the time was 18 different sporting events. And, you know, we can go back and tell you why I was inspired to do that. But when I studied this group, when I started studying them, I did it because I refused, and I still refuse, to buy into the myth that aging is an inevitable decline from the vitality of youth down some slippery slope that we can do nothing about to frailty. I contend, and my research set out to prove, and thankfully there were other great researchers doing some of the same kind of work, not in orthopedics at the time, but uh, in exercise physiology, that we can be healthy, vital, active, joyful if we invest every day in our mobility and our smart nutrition, and not just cop to the myth that, oh my gosh, we're a certain age, we might as well just give it up, hang up the sneakers, there's nothing we can do. That could be no further from the truth. And I'm so happy to tell you that my work paved the way, and now the true science of aging has caught up such that we know that far into the foreseeable future, you know, I'll give you an example. In my work, The first study we did was to really look at the question of when do you slow down? When do you got to hang up your sneakers? And we found that not until mid-70s do you really physiologically start to get slower. And maybe that's the biologic um, measure of aging. And so what that means is if you put a 50-year-old guy in a a race and you put a 70-year-old guy in a race – that the 50-year-old, the year I studied them, finished in 534. The 70-year-old finished in about seven minutes. Nobody gets lapped. Seven minutes is tremendous for people of any age. But I think people are surprised to find out that we can be vital that long. So we found that we can perform long. We found out that we... Uh, retain our lean muscle mass, which is critical for health, that we retain our brain function, that we retain our bone density, everything that we associate with aging, I contend is actually associated with sedentary living, not necessarily the pure aging process. So I am out to change the vocabulary. And because I'm not anti-aging, what's the alternative, Paul? You either age or you're not on this earth, right? So it's how we take on aging, that really matters to me. Mm-hmm. Well, interestingly, too, in my research of you, you, you study 
cognitive decline mm-hmm. in activity. That's right. And so what's the brain doing during all of this activity? Well, you know what? When uh, we started looking at that, um, a lot of the Alzheimer's data had not yet come out. And we were trying to convince people that it wasn't just about our building a better body. We were building a better brain. So we used, I was at the University of Pittsburgh at the time where the it was the national uh, standard and in place that the impact concussion test was developed. And that that we use for athletes to look at their brain function once they get hurt. And that is a test of uh, executive function, the five functions of the brain that really make us cognizant people and not just brainstem breathing activity, right? So we found that in people uh, who invested in chronic mobility, right? Not chronic disease, chronic mobility, and they invested every day, that they were capable of re- maintaining three out of the five executive functions at a rate at a level that were, was statistically higher than those who were sedentary. So basically what that means is that while you're building a better body, you build a better brain. So then I, after I finished that work, we started looking at, well, what's the why, you know, what's going on. So there are, at this point, there are several proteins that we know that are produced in our body that are stimulated to be produced by skeletal muscle contraction. So proteins like clothos, which is the longevity protein, which is known to have a role in the preservation of multiple organ systems. Um, there, there was an, another protein, I'm going to call it grenaline, I think that's the wrong name, but that was just published during COVID that is also known to be stimulated for production by skeletal muscle contraction. So we think that all we're doing by moving around and harnessing the power of mobility is fitting into some black dress or going back to our high school reunion looking good. No, that is not what it's about. It's about using the our muscles and the, um, the interplay of our systems in our body to age well. You mentioned Clotho, and I found this in in my research that it's spelled K-L-O-T-H-O, and it has this direct, uh, very uh, much an impact on our longevity and aging and mobility and function. So, you know, we all want this. We all want this in our lives. Does the body produce it naturally? How can we supply it ourselves? Is it available to us dietarily? Where do we, where do we go buy it? Absolutely. Where can it? I just send you a pill right. in the mail that gives you yeah. extra clotho? Yeah. 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 I want to subscribe well, if you want right now. Clotho, all you have to do is uh, when we're done with this interview, get up and go move around the skeletal muscle contraction, which is, you know, we have three types of muscle in our body, skeletal, cardiac, and smooth. And the and look at your bicep right now. That is skeletal muscle. Anytime you contract that, our body knows we're alive. It, it knows that we're on a pathway for living and it will uh, tell itself, hey, body, let's transcribe our own genes and make some clotho. Now, clotho then travels around the body and every organ system responds to it. It's known as the longevity protein. And, and, you know, how do we know it's the longevity protein? Well, we know that in animals and mice that do not have the ability to transcribe the clotho protein, those mice die young, but very old, right? They have rapid aging. Their systems wear out really quickly. So we know it has a role in longevity. And, you know, something as simple as skeletal muscle contraction I mean, that's, that, that is the cure or the 
impact for 33 chronic diseases that have been grouped together called sedentary death syndrome. And frankly, it's everything that we die of, heart disease, stroke, mental, mental illness, um, name them. We know that there are 33 chronic diseases where mobility, getting our heart rate up, contracting our skeletal muscles, can actually decrease the impact of those diseases. And one of the pathways is clotho. Now, there are a lot of ways that our body makes proteins to stay functional and young-ish, right? And and I, I hesitated there because I'm actually not trying to stay young. I, I don't want to be 20 again. I don't know about you, Paul, but been there, done that. But I want to be healthy, vital, active, joyful, whatever age I happen to be. Um, and, and that's what Clothos does for us. But there are a lot of ways our body does that. And we're just putting those into action with the science mm -hmm. of aging. Stay active. We are with Dr. Vonda Wright. Dr. Vonda Wright is a double-boarded orthopedic sports surgeon. Dr. Wright is internationally recognized as an authority on active aging, focused on optimizing personal and professional performance at every age, from the backyard to the ball field to the boardroom. Dr. Wright, you've done some fantastic work and have really worked in some unique health settings. I want to talk to you a little bit about your work with the Pittsburgh Penguins, the, the hockey team, because they're, they're winners. <laughs> yeah. And you, you certainly are, too. What did you learn from your work with some of these top-level master athletes that, that can apply to our aging bodies today in terms of performance and, and mobility? Well, uh, a couple things for people who are listening that are not themselves uh, <laughs> pro athletes right. or, even, or even podium people. You know, there are <laughs> master's athletes on the podium. I call us mere mortals. Yeah, you know, yeah. I'm a mover, but I'm yeah. a mere mortal mover. I want people to be encouraged that there is never an age or skill level that our body will not respond to the demands we placed on it. Our body's physiology is meant to replace itself. So even, you know, some of the first work with uh, master's age people were to look at function. We're with 90-year-old men in a nursing home who were put through a series of chair exercises and increased their function 150%. Now, how does that apply to the question you actually asked me of what can we learn from really high performers? Well, here's what I know from being in an environment of high performance, not only at work with the Pittsburgh Penguins, but my own husband is a two-time Stanley Cup champion. And so what I've learned from living with people like that is that it's not one thing, right? So champions are concerned with their mindset, right? They're mentally tough. They're willing to put in the work. They're willing to commit towards a goal. And all of us are capable of that. We, if we don't give in to the myth that aging is this decline we can't control, we will be further ahead. So there's the mindset. Number, number two, of course, there's the mobility. You know, when I'm advising people to uh, get moving, I do it in the same way that, that we do for our professional athletes. It's not just a skill set. It's not just a puck and a stick. It's total body conditioning. It's mixing it up, right? They do cardio. They do they do lean muscle mass building. They do agility training, right? So we need a, a comprehensive program. Listen, I think the thing that people are most surprised by when I tell them my experience being the medical director of the, of the Lemieux Sports Complex is when we were designing the building, we insisted on the whole building being a healthy building. So our cafe was run by the same chef that cooked three meals a day for the penguins because 
Food is the fuel. You can't do everything right when it comes to mindset and mobility and then feed yourself, you know, like you don't matter, right? So smart nutrition is important. The other thing that is really important that is new to the scene relatively is rest and restoration. Now, one day I was sitting in my office and my secretary came to me and she's like, will you sign for this giant box? I'm like, I really didn't order anything. What is it? It was a cooling, vibrating mattress because the performance director of the Penguins had decided that we needed a sleep and recovery room. Well, now it's all the rage to focus on sleep and recovery and to make sure every high-level athlete gets eight to nine hours and to make sure their body is recovered. But that's a that's a kind of a new science in the last five to seven years because I don't know about you, but when I was coming up in my career, this whole martyr thing about the longer you work, I'll sleep when I die. Well, that is not the way to perform at the highest level. So the, and the final thing that, that we focus on besides the uh, smart nutrition and the mobility and the sleep and restoration, and of course, the detoxifying, none of our athletes partake in things that decrease their performance, that would be silly, is, is the social aspect. And that's really important for mere mortals like you and me, and is that the social aspects of sport, the the esprit de corps, the uplifting of people working together is not just the, it's not just fun, it's healthy. So um, you see the approach I'm prescribing for people like you and me is actually the same steps that we give to our pro athletes. Injuries certainly follow us uh, as we age, hip injuries in particular. And uh, we have a, a high percentage of our audience who, who are, are female. And again, according to NIH, one in two women over age 50 will likely have an osteoporosis-related fracture. I wonder if you just give us some quick tips on remaining active. And then if injured, mm-hmm. how do we return to pre-fall mobility? Yeah. Pre-fall function. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So the way to get in front of that horrible statistic, that horrible true statistic is to start when we're not even thinking about it. So any mothers out there who have millennial daughters like me or, uh, people that you influence in their twenties and thirties, that is the time we lay down bone. And that is the time to prepare for the next 50 or 60 years of our lives, right? So that's how we need to do impact exercise. We need to jump around. We need to, you know, impact stimulates the bone to lay down um, more mineral. So we, we need to be aware of that because anyone who has osteoporosis in their family history is at risk. So female, fair, um, sometimes obesity has something to do with it, nutrition, So let's prepare ahead. But what if you're already in your 40s and 50s? Well, I tell my 40-year-old patients and friends that 40 is a critical decade because you may not be still laying down bone, but you're going to hit perimenopause soon. And when estrogen walks out the door, it's a different ballgame. So now is the time. If you're just reemerging after raising your small children or getting your career off the ground and you're like, oh, I can finally breathe again, we have got to harness the power of mobility, to lay down lean muscle mass. We got to get strong to to make sure we're preserving our bones at that point. Because once once menopause starts, perimenopause starts, and our hormones begin to fluctuate, or frankly, walk out the door, and 
you know, your PCP draws the labs that show you are clearly post. I remember the day when I got my labs back. Um, it becomes more difficult. But but what can you do to not end up that statistic? It's the same as you should have done when we were 30. We've got to get stay strong. Muscles pulling against our bone will stimulate them to stay healthy, right? So we got to lift weights or lift things around our house or your young children, if you still can, right? Lean muscle mass. Number two, we still need to be able to uh, do impact exercise. Now, some of us have accumulated enough wear and tear of our joints, arthritis, that it's painful to do that. But you know what? You can still hop in a pool in chest high water and run for 45 minutes and do a lot of good for your body. You can get on a rowing machine. You can get on a, a spin bike. Um, all of that will stimulate the muscles that will keep our bones healthy because it's not only about breaking your hip that, as you've mentioned, right? 50% of the time you break your hip and you don't return to pre-fall function. You can't do those things that you love again. And that means you can't stay in the house where you raised your kids, right? So it is really important across a lifespan to invest in your bone health. Lots of women I talk to are resistant to going on uh, drugs to reestablish your bone health. Well, then we have to do it ahead of time. Well, we talked a little bit about Olympics. Of course, we talked about the Pittsburgh Penguins and some hockey. We've talked about the mere mortals <laughs> among us and some of these master athletes. What about those of us who are playing golf? Because there are a lot of those of us in, in, our, in our audience. So maybe give us some tips about golf injury. Oh, my goodness. Tips. I love that you brought up golf because, you know, it's a that's where my husband is all the time. I can't find him. He's not on the golf course. <laughs> well, you know what? Golf can actually be an exercise. Sometimes we scoff at riding around in a cart and getting out. But, you know, we did some studies at the University of Pittsburgh, not myself, because I feel sorry for the guy that had to put on the CO2 mask and carry his clubs for 18, for 18 holes. But what we discovered is that you can burn about uh, 2,000 calories by carrying your clubs uh, on an 18-hole golf course. So you can actually do some hard work. Uh, not only aerobically, but building strength to carry your clubs. So that's good. I would encourage you to do that. And even if you don't want to carry your clubs, get one of those little trolleys or or little robot guys that that your clubs follow you. You know, the technology is such now the thing can detect where you're walking and follow you around because at least you're walking, right? So, but how do we stay uninjured? Well, the thing I see in my patients and uh, on the courses uh, around our house is that people get out of their cars, they grab their clubs, they go to the driving range to warm up and they immediately start hitting long balls, right? They're driving. And so that doesn't give your core, which is where all the power comes from golf, right guys? It's not your arms that are making you go far. It's the pivoting of your core and the, and the, uh, power that comes from what we call twisting the towel, right? So we've got to warm that up. We've got to warm our shoulders up. A lot of golf guys come to me and their shoulders are hurting because they're expecting the power to come from their shoulders. So what I, uh, and the physical therapists, uh, that I'm fortunate enough to work with, we teach people how to maintain their trunk and, uh, thoracic mobility. We teach them how to build their butt and their core strength. All of that will make you a better golfer. So, um, Prevention is is the way to stay on a course. 
Well, Dr. Von der Wright, we so appreciate your time. I just have one final question for you. I mentioned your book, Fitness After 40, and you've got a new website. I think I'm pronouncing this correctly. It's ageless. It's spelled A-J-L-E-S, and I think that's pronounced ageless. We're going to put links up to where our audience can find out more information about you, about ageless, about your books. I want to put a little twist on this question, Fitness After 40, and ask you to take us out with just something motivational that those of us over 60 can do to keep our families healthy, maybe exercise with our grandchildren, and just be excited about staying fit. You know, uh, this book, Fitness After 40, is really for people 40, 50, 60, and beyond. And I want your audience to understand, as I do, that there is never an age or skill level when your body will not respond and keep you healthy and vital and active and joyful. So whether you are a lifelong exerciser and every day for as far back as you can remember, you've invested in yourself, or maybe you're listening to this right now and and Paul and I have convinced you that you are worth the daily investment in your health. I want you to seize the moment. And if that means right now getting up and going for a walk, that's what I want you to do. But if you are in your 60s and you have grandchildren, I want you to understand that there is solid research that shows a grandparent effect and that your investment in your mobility is not only for you, but has a profound effect on the generations that follow you. And you are in the seat where you can leave a legacy of health for your family. And I hope that you'll seize that opportunity to continue leaving that legacy in a different way. Dr. Vonda Wright, again, what a pleasure it's been to talk to you about all these great subjects. You're really just doing so much, an entrepreneur, an orthopedic surgeon, author. We'd love to have you back. I know this, this topic is when uh, our audience is just going to love to hear about today, but love to hear more about in the future. So please consider joining us again. But what a pleasure it is to talk to you and chat about these important subjects. Thanks for your generous time today. Thank you so much for having me, Paul, and I would love to come back anytime. My thanks to Dr. Vonda Wright for her time, expertise, and thoughtful preparation in joining me today about the complex subject of health, fitness, and aging. It is not the same old song from Dr. Wright. My thanks always to the Smithsonian team for all they do to support the show. Of course, my thanks to you, our wonderful Not Old Better Show audience here on KSCW. Please keep your emails coming. I love to get these emails from you guys, so thank you so much. Remember, it's info at notold-better.com. Info at notold-better.com. Keep them coming. Tell me what you like in the way of music, and we'll play it here on the Not Old Better Show on KSCW. So remember, let's talk about better. The Not Old Better Show on KSCW. Thanks, everybody. Have a great week. See you next time.